I knew in my heart of hearts that it was him, right? And justice has been served for Amanda. Now on the news hour, justice delayed but finally delivered. The Dutch national on trial in the tragic case of Amanda Todd, guilty on all counts. We've got a live report. Plus, who's making this rule that we cannot go through? Who's checking on my husband? No way home as the wildfires and evacuation orders expand in the Okanagan. One woman's fight to reach her husband behind the fire line and... It's a ticking time bomb down here. Close call at a controversial tent city. An early morning fire confirms the fears of residents and officials. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for being with us. We will get to those stories in just a moment. But first, we begin with breaking news tonight. And another homicide investigation in Burnaby after another shooting has left one man dead and another injured. Here is what we know as we go to air. The integrated homicide investigation team has been deployed to this incident on Highway 1 at the Kensington off-ramp. Anyone driving Highway 1 in Burnaby today likely saw this massive police presence. It is unclear at this point where the initial shooting happened, but RCMP say the vehicle with both victims inside was pulled over near the Kensington exit at around 2.30 this afternoon. The lone survivor, who was the driver, suffered a non-life-threatening gunshot wound. Currently, one lane on Highway 1 westbound remains open while the Kensington exit is closed. A vehicle believed to be connected to that shooting was found a short while later on East Lawn Drive in Burnaby. According to RCMP tonight, we will have full details on this developing incident as we get them on all Global BC platforms and newscasts all night. After waiting 10 years for justice, a jury has delivered it for Amanda Todd and her loved ones in less than 24 hours. The Dutch national accused of extortion in connection to Todd's case found guilty on all counts today in a decisive and swift verdict marking the end of one chapter in a painful and precedent-setting legal saga. Our Romina Dea joins us live from outside BC Supreme Court in New Westminster. Romina, an emotional day there to say the least. Sarah, it's been a powerful and intense morning. You could hear the heavy breathing down the hallway as people were racing back into court for the verdict. It was a dramatic ending which caught everybody off guard. The verdict, 44-year-old Dutch citizen Aidan Coben guilty on all counts. In the courtroom, Amanda Todd's mother lets out a huge yes as a jury foreperson reads the words guilty five times. There are no words that can explain how my heart feels. It's, it's just a, a culmination of, of what Amanda injured and the truths of it all. And now Aidan Coban has been found guilty, which we, we knew, and justice has been served for Amanda. Everyone stunned. A decision was reached in this complicated two-month-long trial less than 24 hours after jury deliberations began Friday. This is not what we hoped for or expected, uh, and now we need to consider our options. So we'll speak to our client. An appeal is a possibility. He's disappointed, of course. 
The jury only had one question pertaining to Coben's conduct and whether it caused 15-year-old Amanda Todd to fear for her safety and whether the teen's fear was reasonable. After that, it was over within seconds. Coben was found guilty of extortion, possession of child pornography times two, child luring and criminal harassment. Amanda killed herself in 2012, weeks before the BC teen shared her story of blackmail, torment and depression in a haunting YouTube video viewed by millions worldwide. Identity was the crux of this case. Through hard drives and other evidence seized from Coben's holiday home in the Netherlands, Crown made the case the accused was behind 22 phony user accounts, used to sexually blackmail Amanda through Facebook half a world away. The evidence, circumstantial. Defense argued other people were using the Facebook accounts. And devices seized by Dutch police did not contain any videos or images of Amanda. This case that we just won is precedent setting around the world. Um, it has never been done where extradition of an international criminal known for exploitation or sextortion has been extradited to a country to stand trial. And now that we've won, it goes down in case law. Coben is currently serving an 11-year sentence in the Netherlands for cyberbullying dozens of young girls and gay men. He was extradited to Canada in 2020 to face charges in Amanda's case. A sentencing date will be set August 11th. Now, Sarah, after Coben is sentenced here in B.C., he will be immediately returned to the Netherlands. At this point, it's unclear what the Dutch authorities plan to do with his Canadian sentence. Back to you. Romina Dea, thanks for your coverage. The search for a young Indigenous woman reported missing from Vancouver's downtown east side has come to a tragic end. 20-year-old Tatiana Harrison was reported missing by her mother on May 3rd after she had not been heard from since the end of March. Vancouver police say a previously unidentified body discovered on a 40-foot yacht in dry dock at a Richmond Marina May 2nd has now been positively identified as Harrison. Investigators believe Harrison died before she was reported missing. The coroner's service informed Vancouver police that Harrison died from toxic drugs, specifically fentanyl. In late June, police and Harrison's mother released a video documenting her last known whereabouts in an appeal for clues. On July 14th, Richmond RCMP released a composite sketch and a photo of clothing worn by the woman found deceased at the marina. They have since been matched to Harrison. The VPD says it will continue to investigate the circumstances surrounding Tatiana's disappearance. Now to BC's wildfire fight is the largest interface fire in the province. The Karameas Creek Fire holds steady tonight at just over 5,900 hectares in size. The wildfire burning about 20 kilometers southwest of Penticton is still a challenge to fight. Overnight, crews actioned the south flank closest to the village of Olala, stalling it somewhat. Windy conditions are complicating the efforts of fire crews, though, with some 260 wildland firefighters and nearly 200 structural firefighters from across the province on the ground tonight. They are all working together to try to get this fire under control. So far, more than 1,000 properties are on evacuation alert, with more than 500 under evacuation order. 
And it's those evacuation orders and alerts that have thousands of British Columbians holding their collective breath this weekend, left waiting and watching the wind and the weather conditions. That includes one resident desperate to reach her husband behind the fire line. Our Kamal Karmali joins us from outside Karameas with details. Kamal. Sarah, a lot of desperation, especially where we are just outside of the evacuation zone. Just in the past couple of hours, a massive cloud of smoke has made its way south towards us. You can see ash falling from the sky and you can really smell and taste the smoke. And that is a lot of people here concerned and worried for their homes and their loved ones that may be inside. It's been a sleepless night for Sandy Diaz huddled up in her vehicle. I spent all night here freezing because it was really cold last night. I cried all night. She lives south of Olala, where there's an evacuation order. She and her husband chose not to leave their home. But Friday, she says she was told she could exit the zone temporarily to deliver food and then return. When she tried to get back in, she was denied. Problem is, her husband, who is home alone, has dementia. He forgets to eat. He probably will not take his medicine today. Uh, he'll get confused. He'll wander around. Many who left the evacuation zone around the Karameas Creek wildfire returning here daily, trying to get through the closed stretch, searching for answers. Glenn O'Neill's home is in Olala. Yeah, there's a little plume of smoke there. Is that at our place or is it further along? I mean, again, it's very difficult to test, to you know, look at distance. It's been two days since the fire rapidly took a turn for the worse, expanding the evacuation order to nearly 550 homes, meaning residents on those properties must leave. The evacuation alert now including over 1,000 properties whose residents have to be prepared to leave at a moment's notice. Dozens of tents at the Oliver Airport for the more than 400 firefighters resting in shifts but never ready to let their guard down. You're talking about steep banks, you're talking about large defiles, you've got winds changing direction quite regularly here. And with things looking more promising than they were earlier in the week, a glimpse of hope for the future. Some of the areas where the fire started um, have cooled significantly and we're really trying to get folks home uh, as soon as they safely can. Something Sandy Diaz is still fighting for. Global News was able to get her in touch with someone within the district able to help. Okay. I'm going to escort you back to your home. Now free to return to her husband. Thank you. You made my heart very happy. Thank you. In hopes he'll be safe, along with everyone else living under the shadow of this out-of-control wildfire. Now, as bad as it looks here right now, BC Wildfire Service is preaching calm. It says that even though the fire gets more active in some areas, it doesn't mean that it is actually moving. It says fire crews are holding the perimeters at this hour, and they're also hoping that a cooler nighttime and early morning will help the fire crews. Back over to you, Sarah. What a touching story. Kamal Kamali live in Karameas tonight. Thank you, Kamal. It's the fear of returning home to a house that is no longer there that lingers over evacuees tonight, waiting for word on the fate of their homes. And one couple in the South Okanagan says they are not leaving theirs. Victoria Famia has their story. So you can see behind the garage, we've got a few dead trees where the flames were candling up the tree, uh, more up behind our gazebo. That's where the fire wrapped around us and started coming back on the house. Caleb Smith and Allison Lujan, a couple living on Green Mountain Road, now doing whatever they can to save their home from the Karameas Creek wildfire that's burned almost 6,000 hectares in just a week. 
Once they saw how out of control the blaze had become, they jumped into action, fire smarting their home to protect everything they have from the fire that was right in their backyard. We were right on the fence line with hoses um, and the BC wildfire crew. There were a couple trees that candled right behind our garage, up by our gazebo. We had a couple up just up past our fence line. So yeah, our, our biggest concern was keeping it off the trees. The moment the couple watched their neighbor's home burn to the ground on the first night of the fire is when they knew their home could be next and it was time to evacuate. We were watching it from our roof when it first started over the mountain and it circled around the whole valley and it jumped the road and started coming up towards us. And when we saw our neighbor's place light up at about 2 a.m., we just decided to pack our dogs and our computers and we left and went to Penticton to my mom's place. Even with the image of a single ember hitting their neighbor's home, turning it to ash, paired with the thought of their home being the next to go up in flames, the two still stayed calm. We're insured. Um, we have an amazing supportive family and friends around, so things are just things. They can be replaced, but as long as we had our dogs and our work computers, uh, we just decided to go. The chaotic winds familiar to that area helped push the fire in many directions since it began. It's really unpredictable, which is why the fire has been so erratic and they're not really, there's no single fire front. Like it's burning to the north of us now, it's burning down near Olala, it's burning near Apex. The two have returned home and are staying there until it isn't safe anymore. They are hopeful that the worst is over for them and the fire has moved past their home for good. But if it does come back, they're either ready to leave or protect their home as best they can. Victoria Femia, Global News. South of the border, a wildfire burning in the U.S. northeast of Eureka, Montana, has now jumped the Canadian border right into B.C. The B.C. Wildfire Service says the Weasel Creek wildfire crossed international state lines last night and is currently burning in the Flathead Valley about two kilometers west of Frozen Lake and 39 kilometers southeast of Baines Lake. The Canadian portion of that blaze is around 620 hectares in size and is said to be showing aggressive fire behavior. But the good news, no structures are threatened at this time. For more on the current wildfire danger rating close to home, compounded by a heat warning, meteorologist Yvonne Shell joins us now. Yvonne, another hot stretch is coming and that could complicate the firefight. Yeah, we had a brief break, but things are ramping up once again. A quick check on the fire danger rating and where we're sitting at today. We're at anywhere between high to extreme. I anticipate this is going to bump up, though, in the coming days with the hot and dry conditions. We currently have over 50 uh, wild, active wildfires at this point, 56, with 19 of them in Kamloops and the southeastern corner sitting at 16. So please Please be very diligent over the coming days. We've got a ridge that's going to start to build in. This will be the big weather story that we're following. It'll likely build in tomorrow. It'll continue into early next week. Most areas will see the peak of the heat on Tuesday, Wednesday before we start to see a reprieve. But those numbers, especially along the south coast, will be into the low 30s for most areas and into the interior will be into the upper 30s. So we'll be watching that closely. The heat warning that is in effect is for the Fraser Canyon from Sunday through Tuesday. We are including Lytton within that highs will be near 35 degrees and lows. Not much of a reprieve, just down to 18 degrees. I'll have more on the heat, what we're anticipating in the coming days, even along the south coast, coming up very shortly. Sarah? Okay, Yvonne, thanks. We'll see you soon. It has been one week since the brazen triple shooting of three young men in South Surrey. And only now are we getting some crucial details from homicide investigators the case. I had finally releasing some information into that deadly shooting last night. But as Travis Prasad explains, there are still more questions than answers.
On July 30th, around 2.30 p.m., an SUV pulled into the South Surrey Athletic Park. Immediately after, gunshots rang out. One man was killed, two others taken to the hospital, where another would die. A public park turned crime scene. Those involved in this have a total disregard for the community. Police now identifying the victims as 19-year-old Jordan Krishna, 20-year-old Robin Sereni, and 26-year-old Harbir Kosa, all of them from Surrey. Investigators won't confirm which of the three survived, but say two of them were known to police. This investigation is still in its early stages, but indications so far is that the shooting has a nexus to gang and drug activity. One gang expert says the shooting looks like a pre-planned setup. Different from the chaotic gangland double homicide in Whistler two weeks ago. It also has the signs of like a drug deal gone bad or some type of meat that's gone sideways, right? You just never know. And, and that's the message to all these young kids. Man, you never know when it's going to happen. Investigators believe there was one gunman who fled on foot. On Friday, police executed a search warrant at a residence near the scene. One person is in custody, but no charges have been laid. IHIT says all three victims were riding in a black BMW X5 and want anyone who saw it at or near the park to come forward. Even though we have someone in custody right now, more information is better, and we can use that to corroborate and put together the pieces we need for a better case. Shootings in busy places, full of witnesses, often an indicator of who's pulling the trigger. Very inexperienced kids that do this stuff really rash and they don't think it through. And in particular, they don't think that the people that they've shot have friends are going to come after them. It, it, they're really naive. All while putting the public in danger. Travis Prasad, Global News. Coming up, close call at Vancouver's newest tent city. The early morning fire that could have been disastrous, even deadly. Plus... A suspect is sought in connection to a brutal assault. Why RCMP want to speak with anyone who has seen that man after the break. It was the fear of the Vancouver fire chief when she ordered structures be removed from a growing sidewalk tent city on the downtown east side last month. Early today, a tent caught fire along the East Hastings stretch and with low-income tenants already displaced by three major fires in as many months, residents want action to make the area safe for everyone. Kristen Robinson reports. Kevin Purdy is cleaning up the remnants of a very close call. This house is roughly 180 to 200 people. It's much too close. And this is what uh, the fire department uh, chief is saying. The sidewalk along East Hastings west of Main Street charred after a tent went up in flames early Saturday in front of the Brandy's Hotel SRO. It was just a loud explosion and then a bunch of smoke and fire crews and it could have blown Buddy to Kingdom Come. Fortunately, no one was hurt and firefighters say the cause is under investigation. There was nobody in that tent. It was literally stacked full of garbage from what I could tell. Right? It was a tent filled full of garbage and then left to burn. When Vancouver's fire chief issued a July 25th order to immediately remove tents and structures here, she warned a potential fire would be catastrophic, putting lives at risk and jeopardizing hundreds of units of much-needed housing. It's a ticking time bomb down here. In April, two people died at the Winters Hotel in a huge fire which displaced dozens of SRO residents. 
Two months later, a man died after a battery overload caused an explosion at the Empress Hotel. And on July 6th, the street church and an adjacent two-story building were destroyed in a fire near Hastings in Maine. It has the potential to really get out of hand if it keeps uh, persisting. Purdy has lived on the downtown east side for 20 years and says safety concerns, including violence, have escalated with the recent growth of the tent city. An elderly friend of mine got kicked because there's no room to run his wheelchair. A 70-year-old man in a wheelchair does not need to be assaulted when he's got nowhere to go. And he's just trying to get by. While he and others do their best to remove debris and keep the sidewalk clear, Purdy says a resolution is long overdue. And I feel sorry for the campers and stuff. They have to have a better place organized than, than the sidewalk. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Ridge Meadows RCMP are appealing to the public tonight for information after a serious assault. Around 11.30 p.m. on July 29th, police responded to reports of a man suffering from serious injuries following an alleged assault. The victim is a 65-year-old white man standing around 5'9 with a thin build. He was last seen on surveillance footage in the area of 222 Street around 10.15 p.m. and then again at 11.30 p.m. near the 22500 block of Kendrick Loop where he was found a few blocks down the street. He was transported to hospital by air ambulance. Police would like anybody with dash cam footage of those areas to come forward, and they are also looking to speak with anyone who saw this man that night. Coming up, a high-profile resignation at Hockey Canada. The heavy hitter put on ice at an embattled organization under fire. That's coming up after the break. Welcome back. Hockey Canada's embattled chairman of the board of directors has stepped down amid a sexual assault scandal rocking the organization. And now there are calls for more leaders to follow suit. Michael Brindamore informed the board last night and in a statement today that his resignation is effective immediately and he has, quote, listened carefully and intently to the comments of Canadians about the culture of our sport and our organization organization and about our actions and leadership. Adding immediate action is essential to address the important challenges facing our organization and our sport. His resignation follows mounting scrutiny of Hockey Canada's leadership. After revelations, the board settled a $3.5 million lawsuit in April alleging eight hockey players, including members of Canada's world junior team, sexually assaulted a woman in 2018. Hockey Canada says an interim chair will be appointed in the coming days. Tensions are rising in the waters off Taiwan tonight as China steps up aggressive and threatening action. A visit to Taiwan by U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi this week set China on the offensive, with many now looking to Canada to take a clear position on what's to come. Abigail Beeman explains. A commander of China's People's Liberation Army Navy declares this training is about forging a strong iron fist at sea. Taiwan says Chinese airships and warships rehearsed an attack on the island Saturday with more than a dozen Chinese aircraft and 14 military ships crossing the median line in the Taiwan Strait. It's dangerous because all those Chinese planes, you know, challenging the, the Taiwan borders require that Taiwan sends its jets up to, to counter them. And the possibility for a miscalculation or an error is always there. So, uh, you know, the whole thing is, is uh, uh, frightening. What we've seen China uh, do over the, the last few years is move away from uh, a peaceful resolution of differences 
to doing so coercively and potentially forcefully. After the G7 issued a statement asking China to resolve differences peacefully, Canada's charge d'affaires was one of the diplomats summoned by Beijing. In a statement, China's embassy in Ottawa called the G7's position a flagrant act of hegemony, bullying and coercion, and called on Canada to stop interfering in China's internal affairs in any form so as not to cause further damage to China-Canada relations. We're extremely concerned with what's going on in the region. We call on China to calm down its rhetoric. Canada's foreign affairs minister wouldn't say whether she plans to summon or speak to the Chinese ambassador. I think that Canada should be extremely firm. I think it's really important for China to understand that its behavior is irresponsible. China says its air and sea exercises are focused on six spots around Taiwan, expected to continue until midday Sunday. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. In Health Matters tonight, residents of rural B.C. communities are demanding more say over their local health care options as the sector continues to collapse. The emergency room in Port McNeil was closed for 12 hours today, while the ER in Port Hardy will be closed for 12 hours tomorrow, all because of limited staffing. Those are just a handful of the latest diversions being implemented right across the province. Staffing shortages are being acutely felt in rural B.C., where other health care options like a walk-in clinic may be limited. So now the residents themselves are searching for solutions. This is where I think it gets back to where we need to get back to a bit more um, community-based management um, to oversee these these troubles that we have with uh, BC Ambulance and with the healthcare and all the all the physicians and and in rural BC. because rural BC is different and you have to look outside the box. We, we've been very unique in the way we did our doctors. Um, they work 10 days, 24 seven, and do a rotation of that between three of them. And uh, it, it's what works. Coming up, the epic lineups leaving aviation fans grounded. The hours long wait just to get into the Abbotsford Air Show and what organizers are saying. Hear from them and some attendees after the break. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Welcome back. The Abbotsford International Air Show took off under blue skies this weekend as aviation fans flocked to the three day event. But massive traffic tie ups to get to the airport Friday night left organizers scrambling for solutions before even bigger crowds arrived today. It has been three years since the U.S. Thunderbirds came to the Lower Mainland and the team put on a dazzling display as part of the 60th anniversary of the Abbotsford International Air Show. But on Friday night, some ticket holders waited up to four hours in traffic jams and parking lot squabbles before getting into the show. One frustrated family from Langley says that several children's events were already over and there were few planes still performing by the time they got in. One mom says she feels ripped off after spending close to 90 bucks for a special family night out. I could have used that $90 and taken the kids to the drive-in or I could have taken them out for dinner or taken them to go bananas or something that I would have really worth my $90, you know. Money's... Money's money, you know, it's only $90, but $90 is a lot of money when you don't have any, right? So I scrambled it together, I got $90 together to take the kids to make some memories, and, and honestly, it just gives me goosebumps. I'm just 
It's sad. It's, it's upsetting. Airshow officials say overwhelming interest in the event, plus a dwindling volunteer base, created a difficult situation on Friday night. A stellar lineup has attracted huge crowds, but organizers recognize there were some issues that need to be rectified. We want to strive for better than that, and of course we will, we will be taking in to account all kinds of feedback to be able to improve the situation for the future. It's not the kind of experience that we want our guests to have. Sunday's air show is already sold out. Ticket holders are advised to leave several hours early to get into the airport site and pack your patience if delays occur. Some good advice. And Yvonne, uh, perfect skies, clear skies for that air show all weekend, it seems like. Yeah, it's fantastic out there. But keep in mind, it'll be hot, so stay hydrated. Grab the sunscreen. Uh, we will be continuing to track the heat. That's a big weather story in the coming days. And it's really the dry and hot conditions in the interior that are posing a concern for the, fire, uh, for the wildfires across the region. Beautiful shot, though, overlooking the bridge this evening. Temperatures are sitting at 23. We've got a few high-level clouds in the mix. A northwesterly wind at 13 kilometers per hour. And a few areas closer to the water as we get in through the day tomorrow. We'll see those winds up to 30 kilometers per hour. With the Humidex, though, it's been even warmer. We can see that even for Metro Vancouver. 28 areas near Hope at 31. And Pitt Meadows, we're feeling into the low 30s. And a few other spots across the province with Lytton today getting up to 32 degrees. And Lillooet topping out at 31. Now, overnight for Metro Vancouver, we've got temperatures down to 15 degrees. Plenty of sunshine to round off our weekend, but a hot one tomorrow. 26 away from the water. It'll be closer to 30 degrees. And with the Humidex areas inland tomorrow, feeling like 35. So it is going to be hot and sunny right across the region. Now, the northern half of the province, that's the blip in the forecast. We're still tracking some rainfall that'll pick up heavier at times for the morning hours and then should taper off late in the day. All areas across the central and southern half of the province basking in that sunshine. As a ridge starts to build across the region, it'll continue into early next week. That's where we'll see those temperatures soaring once again, and then a bit of a reprieve in transition late day Tuesday and leading in towards our Wednesday. The temperature trend, just a heads up, will be likely into the low 30s for most areas across Metro Vancouver. A reprieve closer to the average for this time of the year as we get in towards our Wednesday. And for the interior, we'll see a bit of a transition day on Wednesday, and then that reprieve in temperatures on Thursday along the south coast on Wednesday. We could even see a few isolated showers in the mix, but the southern half of the province still remaining dry. Rainfall will be for the morning hours along the north coast. A bit of a cooler day with highs just up to 17 degrees. Central interior underneath the partly cloudy sky. Southern half tomorrow, we start to see that increase in the temperatures, especially as we get in towards our Monday and Tuesday. And a reminder, areas into the Fraser Canyon with the heat warning that is in effect and temperatures getting up to 35 and overnight lows down to 18 degrees. Along the south coast, so hot and dry. Humidex tomorrow up to 35 degrees, still a hot one in towards our Monday. Bit of a change on Tuesday, and then that break will be on our way for our Wednesday so far. Sarah? Okay, that is a hot rest of the weekend. Thank you so much, Yvonne. Free entertainment returned to Vancouver's Granville Entertainment District today with the Granville Promenade. The festival kicked off today with Van Vogue Jam, featuring voguing workshops, go-go dancing, and people in costumes. And tomorrow, Taiwan Fest will be featured with cultural performances and music every weekend in August. Two blocks of Granville Street between Smythe and Helmkin Streets will be closed to vehicles for pedestrians to enjoy the free outdoor entertainment. That looks like so much fun.
Speaking of entertainment, Barry DeLay is here with a look ahead to the Lions yeah, game. Very good I think to see they're you. hoping uh, to have a party at BC Place mm -hmm. again tonight. The uh, Whitecaps had a fantastic finish last night. We'll take a look back at that and we'll preview the Lions game against the Edmonton Elks. So yeah, I think they're having the street party out there right now at <laughs> BC Place. <laughs> All right, good to see you, Barry. We will see you soon as well. And coming up after the break, the deflation of inflation. What could be good news for your wallet with relief potentially in sight? We'll tell you why after the break. Well, it will come as no surprise to anyone that prices for just about anything are high right now. But there could be some relief coming from rising inflation. Sharmeen Somani tells us why. The rising cost of everything is hitting people hard. I am a retired person and, uh, and the prices are going up and uh, my income is fixed. I'm hoping it won't continue. A feeling many Canadians are echoing. According to an Epsos study, 84% of Canadians are worried the cost of everything will continue to go up over the next few months. We've got some old factors, some related to the pandemic, and then we've had some extraneous factors as well, such as Russia's attack on Ukraine. They've all come together, you know, as, as sort of that cliche of the perfect storm. Economics professor Don Drummond says how we respond to inflation can also impact it. So if people start demanding higher wages, companies may raise the cost of their products and services to make that happen. We're already seeing signs that the inflation rate has, has crested or will soon crest. I mean, we can see the wholesale prices of gasoline have come down. And, and we, in fact, the pump prices have come down. We've seen housing prices come down. Just over the last week, the price of crude oil has fallen around 25% a barrel from its high near the start of the war in Ukraine. Economics professor Christine Neal says we'll especially notice a difference in products that are volatile. Especially gas, but also food. We can see decreases of prices possibly coming up. But she says it will be best for our economy if prices drop gradually. We don't want that to go down too fast. That would probably be in the case of a recession, which very bad. We do not want that. Neil and Drummond expect to see a decline in our inflation rate in the next couple of months. Sharmin Samani, Global News. Coming up, Barry is back with sports. Plus, we head to the Okanagan for one of the funnest festivals of the summer. That's after the break. PNE is back for its 112th annual fair. Continue the summer tradition with can't-miss attractions and entertainment, including the Superdogs and the return of the summer night concerts. Plus, enjoy all the fun, games, rides, vendors, and treats you can eat. Don't miss Brian Adams on his So Happy It Hurts tour at Prospera Place in Kelowna on November 11th and Rogers Arena in Vancouver on November 12th. Tickets on sale now. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Brought to you in part by PNE. Fill up on fun at the PNE Fair. Don't miss the Superdog Summer Night Concerts, lots of food and thrilling rides. Celebrate to the fullest at the PNE Fair. Welcome back. Barry is back. Big game about to happen in downtown Vancouver today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Lions, I expect, should win this one, but uh, you never know. That's why they play him, Sarah. Thanks so much. The Lions and Edmonton Elks kick off in about 25 minutes from now at BC Place. Now, the Lions destroyed the Elks 59-14 to in their season opener, and really that uh, helped the Lions uh, use that as a springboard to their best start in years, but they are fairly certain they're not going to win by 45 points again tonight. Edmonton may be last place but they have played better of late and the Lions are certainly not expecting an easy night.
games its own entity. You know, there's, I don't think we go into any team looking at their record. You know what I'm saying? Like they got you know professional guys just like we do. We, we know they're itching for wins. You know, you know with the way this season's going, everybody's you know no one's really out of it. You know what I'm saying with the record. So you know they're they're just trying to get some things figured out. You know they got a couple wins under their belt. So I definitely think it's going to be a good matchup. I mean, we don't fear anybody. We, we obviously respect them. We know that uh, they're a very different team than we. Uh, played in week one, um, and we're not taking them lightly. Absolutely, any every game, especially games in the West, is important. Um, you know, this is an experienced uh, head coach who who knows what he's doing, and and uh, we got to be prepared for any kind of trick they have. They're coming off a bye, so they should be fresh. They got a lot of people, new people in there, um, so they'll be fresh as well. So we got to make sure that uh, we're we're coming out with the right attitude. Also tonight in the CFL, Argos and Ticats. First of four games they're going to play over the next six weeks. Hamilton's starting to play a little better after a slow start. Dane Evans, nine-yard touchdown to Don Jackson, gets into the end zone, and he celebrates with some breakdancing. 14-6, Hamilton at the half, but the Argos come roaring back. Big play on special teams. They block the punt. And Benoit Marion scoops and scores the touchdown, and that has given the Argos the lead. They are late in the fourth right now in Toronto, 24-20 for the Boatmen as we speak. Well, if the Whitecaps could harness the energy and the results they get in the final 15 minutes of each game and apply it to the entire game, they would be in first place. But the truth is they are fighting for a playoff spot and their chances of getting in certainly increased after last night's thrilling comeback win at BC Place. The Caps scored twice in the final five minutes to beat Houston 2-1. The tying goal was scored by 2022 first-round pick Simon Betcher, playing in his first game with the big team because, of course, the Caps were down six players due to a COVID outbreak. Russell, Ahmed, Ahmed. A lot of it is, you know, getting into the same system as, you know, with the second team that the first team has and, you know, trying to push ourselves at that second team level because there's a lot of ambitious guys, a lot of really good players, guys, or a lot, a lot of really good players on that team. And you've seen that, you know, multiple guys have been called up this year. So, you know, it's a high level there. And, you know, just that really prepares you when you do step into, you know, the first team environment. Baldissimo helping out. It's still alive here for the Cavs. Cavallini on his left foot. It's in! Lucas Cavallini! If we make the playoff, uh, I think that should be in the highlights, really, if we make the playoff, that this is the win that should go there. Because if we win the playoff, it's all because of this win. So it's a, it's a very important game. And uh, we go from zero to three points. All right, Whitecaps hoping to get a favor from Toronto FC tonight. TFC at Nashville, same place the Caps rallied for a draw last week, and it's a bright start. Canadian Jonathan Osario, this is a great goal. Check out two fakes and then fires with the left foot to the back of the net. Great goal, 1-0 Toronto. Nashville equalized from the spot, but moments later, Richie Larea to Jonathan Osario for his second the Canadian connection, and right now it is 3-2 TFC late second half. Nashville just three points up on Vancouver in the West. First Saturday of the English Premiership season, Liverpool starting off at Fulham. Fulham opened the scoring, long cross all the way across the box, and Alexander Mitrovic wins the battle in the air, heads it home. 
Needs a little bit of work on the celebration, uh, I would say, but 1-0 Fulham at the half. Fulham led 2-1 late second half, but Mo Salah to the rescue. A series of fortunate bounces for Liverpool there. Salah will put it in. Liverpool fortunate to get a point. Jurgen Klopp said afterwards his boys had a bad attitude and were lucky to get a road result. 2-2 final. Hockey now, gold medal game of the Holinka Gretzky uh, Cup, the U18 tournament in Red Deer, Alberta. Canada opens the scoring. Tanner Howe somehow finds room on the short side. He is Connor Bedard's teammate with the Regina Pats. Swedes tied it, but Canada goes back out to front. Ethan Gauthier, he's had a great tournament. That is his sixth goal. Rips it under the bar. 2-1 Canada after one. Third period now 3-1. Chilliwack's Zach Benson with the steal sets up Braden Yeager to seal it. Canada wins 4-1. They went 5-0 and they outscored the opposition 34-3 on their way to the gold medal at the Halinka Gretzky Cup. Blue Jays continuing their series in Minnesota. Mitch White making his Jays debut, acquired from the Dodgers at the trade deadline. Fifth starter for the Jays now with Ross Stripling on the injured list. Gets his first strikeout as a Blue Jay, punching out Carlos Correa. Twins did get two in the third, but the Jays got them back in the fourth with one swing. Bo Bichette going deep to left. That's his 15th homer, and that's much to the delight of the thousands of Jays fans who've made their way down from the Prairie provinces, mostly in northern Ontario, to watch this series. But in the fifth, Jorge Polanco. Polink's one to right. It's a two-out double off Tim Meza. That run charged to Mitch White, who did pitch well in his four and two-thirds. And right now, the Twins lead 5-2 in the sixth. Third round of the Women's British Open from historic Muirfield in Scotland. Brooke Henderson with a pair of one under 70s to start the tournament. Needed to go fairly low today to get into real contention. This will help. Beautiful tee shot on the par three fourth. And Brooke would step up and make that birdie. Although, again, she left a lot of birdies out there. Putting was not good again. A managed to two under 69. Four under par, tied for ninth. But a long way off the lead with just one round to play. Everyone is chasing South Africa's Ashley Buhai. She made five birdies during a six-hole stretch on the front nine. One of them coming courtesy this tee shot on the par 3-7 to about three feet. And then at the 10th, she's got a long putt for birdie. Uh, and it's down for one of her eight birdies on the day. Seven under 64 for Buhai. She's at 14 under, a five-shot lead at the Women's British Open. And the PGA Tour from Greensboro, North Carolina, the Wyndham Championship, final regular season tournament, final chance for players to get into the top 125 and into the playoffs. How about this, Brandon Wu, second shot on the par 4 11th. No putter required for this one. It's a hole out for Eagle. And uh, literally seconds after that went in, the horn sounded to suspend play due to lightning and rain in the area, and they never did resume. Wu is tied for the lead with Sung J M. The leaders still have seven or eight holes to play in their third round. They'll try to finish it off uh, tomorrow, but weather has been an issue this week. Abbotsford's Nick Taylor currently tied for 66th, but it would be enough to get him in the playoffs. He's projected at number 124, so it'll be a tight finish for Nick Taylor tomorrow. Okay, nice eagle shot there. That was pretty cool. That's sure nice when you don't need your putter. <laughs> no yeah. kidding. Usually for us, it's like you're taking a nine. I'm not going to putt, but for them, a two. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Barry. Coming mm -hmm. up, we're going to the Okanagan for Peach Fest. Stay with us.
Wildfire season is dominating talk in the South Okanagan, but that is not stopping the party that is Peach Fest from getting rowdy. Kimberly Davidson takes us there. There are huge crowds at the 75th Annual Peach Festival in Penticton with thousands of people more than ready for some summer fun. Well, it's been a while since we've been able to enjoy live music with a crowd of people. I'm from Peachland and I love to attend Peach Fest. We, uh, we had a raise of hands on opening night on Wednesday and about half the people in the park were from out of town. A lot of people plan their vacation to come to Peach Festival. We drove all the way for Medicine Hat. We're going to go in three, two, one, And after a two-year hiatus, organizers are going all out. We've got the best entertainment lineup we've ever had, and I think people really appreciate that. Oh, we just love the music. The music. There's also kids' activities, food trucks, amusement rides, and more. We were here to see the concert and see some family and get some ice cream. Peach Fest is Canada's largest free festival, but a recent economic development survey found it is responsible for a close to $4 million economic boost for the small Okanagan city. Kimberly Davidson, Global News. That looks like so much fun and perfect weather for it tonight, Yvonne. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be very hot, so keep that in mind, especially for the interior. We're watching this all the way in towards our Tuesday. Bit of a transition will be late day Tuesday, and we've got that heat warning for the Fraser Canyon. Litton is included within it. Okay, stay hydrated, seek out shade. Barry, we will see you back here tonight. And to get me some peaches. <laughs> some peaches, now Who doesn't love peaches? <laughs> yeah. Everyone loves peaches. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for being with us tonight. Krista Dow is back here at 11 o'clock with Barry. We'll see you right back here tomorrow at 6. Good night. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.